Welcome to this week's podcast at Bergen Park Church from Evergreen, Colorado. We hope you enjoy this message, and if you'd like to hear any more or learn more about the church, please visit bergenparkchurch.org. Well, it is so good to be here. I am honored. So thank you for the invitation and the welcome. Thank you for Pastor Jason for giving me this nod. Uh, we're going to try to make the best of our time. In my ministry, Gospel at Ministries, I spend, sadly, way too much time dialoguing with people who've been beat up, not physically, relationally, people who've been beat up by institutions, think government, think business, think bureaucracies, think work, but also churches, what I call the church damaged. And no judgment, there's a lot of folks out there, and I'm sure in this audience there's many. Um, They have a common question Attachment theorists, I'm a big attachment theory fan for counseling. Uh, Attachment theorists say that we all have a single question bouncing around in our head. A single question. Subconscious, it affects our relationship, it affects our attitude, it affects how we look for work, churches we go to. A single question. It's true whether you're an infant, toddler, teen, Elder, boomer, the question, is there anybody there for me? Is there anybody there for me? I want to talk about it. Uh, This sermon actually sort of fits. I think it wedges really well to the series that you guys were doing a little while ago, The Emotionally Healthy Disciple, uh, Spiritual Trans... Uh, transformation, but I think it's going to be for everybody, all ages. Hopefully, this will resonate with you and your relationship with Jesus. I titled the sermon, hopefully provocatively, Jesus Enough? Question mark. And look, I get it. I'm a theologian. I know the answer is yes. So be, take a breath. But when we say that, typically our Christian heads go to salvation. And yeah, Jesus is enough. He got me into heaven. That cannot be taken away from me. It was him alone, his life, his worth, his death, his resurrection. I'm in. Jesus enough? Yeah. But that's not my question today. That's not the question with the people that I dialogue with typically. They want to know, is Jesus enough for me today? In my life, in my relationship, in my addictions, with my kids, with my parents, is Jesus enough That's worth spending some time on. We're going to go into the Sermon on the Mount. And I just finished a Bible study. By the way, this is a shameless plug for a small group Bible study. If you haven't picked one, uh, here we go. Jesus said what? I seem to like question marks lately. But Jesus said what? It's about the Beatitudes. But it's answering this same question. Is there anybody here for me? Is there anybody out there that has my back? We're going to go into the Beatitudes briefly this morning. Uh, Beatitudes. We've got to get the Sermon on the Mount right. Oh, my gosh. I think we've been lazy over the last 10 decades. It's about this question. I guarantee it's about this question. if If you want to understand the entire Gospel of Matthew, I'm going to suggest you have to understand the Sermon on the Mount. And if you want to understand the Sermon on the Mount, you've got to understand the Beatitudes. It's Jesus' DNA. It's Jesus' vision. It's his mission. And I think we overlook it. 
You know, here's, what, here's how I would describe the Sermon on the Mount, now that I've given this introduction. The Sermon on the Mount is what happens when the kingdom of God bumps into people who wonder if there's anybody out there for them. Isn't that a great definition? The Sermon on the Mount is about what happens when the kingdom of God crashes into people who are wondering if there's anybody out there for them. I want to know that answer. This world is dangerous right now. This world is increasingly violent, um, unequitable, unjust. It's dangerous. I want to know if there's anybody out there for me today, tomorrow or the next day, that likes me as I am. That's what I want. We'll start with context. I'm sure Pastor Jason has mentioned context is everything. Context, 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 context. So here it is. We're going to start off with the people who showed up. That would be you, who showed up to hear the Sermon on the Mount, which wasn't a sermon or a mount. It was a hillside. Who were they? Why were they? What did they get out of it? We want to look at them. Matthew provocatively gives us two descriptions, one in his own words and one in Jesus' words. We'll look at both briefly. Here's Matthew 4.23. Jesus, oh, and I'm going to emphasize some words. I think you'll tell when I emphasize them. I'm making a point. I'm not going crazy. I'm not having a stroke. So just, you'll, you'll see what I'm talking about. Jesus went throughout Galilee teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria, and people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures, paralyzed, and he healed them. Large crowds from Galilee, Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across the Jordan followed him. So I've been hanging with Matthew in, in the, the gospel, particularly showing them out for about 10 months now, uh, by a workbook, a novel, a podcast. We've been going deep into the weeds with Matthew. I, I, like the, I like how he writes because he's not afraid to use hyperboles, exaggerations. And that's okay. And back in those days, for histories and narratives, that was kosher. But you can see what he does. It's uh, all, so throughout Galilee, if I said throughout this auditorium, you would expect, I mean, every nook and cranny, everybody here. It's an exaggeration. Every disease, really? All over Syria. So if, if it was all over Galilee, that's a small umbrella. All over Syria was a huge geographical swatch. All who were ill. Really? All? And then crowded crowds in the Greek. It's crowds of crowds. It's a big, big, big crowd. You see what Matthew is doing? If you're the reader, you're supposed to go, whoa, something crazy is happening. Something we haven't seen that those people would come from all over those places to come and sit there to listen to this itinerant rabbi. This is amazing. That's the idea. We know a lot about them. We know that they came from all over. Sometimes, unfortunately, when we imagine the Sermon on the Mount, we almost imagine us 
a bunch of Jews in a synagogue, or the synagogue let out, and it's just Jewish people on this hillside kind of scattered around Galilee. But that's not how Matthew portrays it. It's people from all over the region. That would have incorporated Romans and Greeks, um, Bedouin, slaves, men, women, boys, and girls, people who believed in nothing, people who believed the emperor was God, people who believed that there were many gods, and even some Jews. And even the Jews were from Jerusalem, from Galilee, from the Decapolis, very, very different Jews. This was a hodgepodge. These people did not get along normally, but they were there listening to Jesus. Let me tell you something more that, Jesus, that Matthew adds. They were sick. This was an honor-shame culture, if you've never heard that before. If you were sick, you were an outcast. You were to be avoided. You were shamed. The gods, whatever god you served, is, is cursing you, is pulling back. They were sick. Don't think of a hospital where middle-class, upper-middle-class people, good people who have family and friends, go to get healed. That's not the case. These were rejects. These were the diseased, the incurable, the demon-possessed, those with chronic pain. They would have been avoided, shunned. They would have been cursed by whatever God they believed in. That's what they would have thought. They were ghosts. If you saw them, you would look away. Relate to that? That's who that was. Those are the ones who came to hear Jesus. They were the cut off ones. Nobody had their backs. They knew it. That was their life. No one looked at them and felt envy. Nobody went, man, I wish I had that person's life. They just struggled. No one invited them for lunch. Um, we often imagine and, and tragically, unfortunately, teach the Sermon on the Mount as if Jesus is talking to well-heeled Christian men and women, and he's just kind of giving them a few, not, you know, nine principles that you can improve your walk with God and feel good about yourself, reduce your guilt a little bit, you know what I'm saying, polish it off, and hopefully get a favor from God. It's not the context. These were not Christians. These were not believers. These were sinners, the unclean. Nobody thought that they were on God's good side. They wouldn't have thought that either. Nobody thought God had their back. They were in survival mode. I meet a lot of those people today. Sometimes we don't want to admit it, but we're about to pop. Is there anybody out there for me? So that's how Matthew describes them. Yuck. Here's how Jesus describes them. The first three Beatitudes, they're the subject of the Beatitudes. Don't think three different people. You know, the, the poor in spirit over here, the mourners are. Think the same person. Think a Venn diagram, you know, the three circles where they meet in the middle. This describes all the people who came, and you, and me. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn, the mourning ones. Blessed are the meek. Not three different people, it describes us. This is where Jesus finds us. This is when the kingdom of God bumps into 
real people that have been beat up by this groaning world. I want to unpack those three words real quick, the phrases. Poor in spirit. Don't think money. Don't think finances. Poor in spirit is a jarring social idiom. It's harsh. One commentator said this, tokoi, which is the word for poor, comes from toso, to cower. These were the cowerers. Cringe. It means the abject poor, the abysmally impoverished, those completely dependent upon others to make it. The much maligned welfare poor, the undone, the pathetic, the miserable. Tokos was the strongest word for poverty available to Matthew, available to Jesus. These were the marginated people, the cities underclass, the worldwide wretched of the earth, those who have reached the bottom spiritually, emotionally, and psychically. If that's not you, you know those people. They cannot live without God's supernatural help and miraculous intervention. No judgment. These were the people who came. These were the people that Jesus wanted to be part of his initial startup team. Crazy. Let me tell you about those people, the poor in spirit. It would be absurd, a big mistake to stand up in front of them and tell them nine new principles that they need to live by. Are you with me? You know what they would do? They wouldn't, they wouldn't stick around or they'd stone you. They've tried. They can't do more. And why would they? God has already left them, relegated them to unsolvable issues. Isolation, curse. You can't tell them to work harder. So think an addict addicted to porn, to gambling, to alcohol, to opioids. Do you know if someone dies from opioid addiction every 15 minutes in the United States alone? It's not because they want to. Their brain's in some ways in control. It's not all their fault. Think about people, we've seen them go downtown, people who, they're going to live in tents because they want to? Or is there something trapping them? People on the corners who need to beg. I'm talking not about the, the fakes. I'm talking the ones who need to beg to survive. That's all they can do. Tell them to work. In a sense, they can't. No judgment. No judgment. Think of the people in our country who've been treated chronically badly with injustice. Women. Blacks. Migrants, First Nations, they can't fix it. They've tried. That's the people on the hillside that day. Think about people who are suffering from emotional and mental illness. You just need to get up and do better. That's not the message of the Sermon on the Mount. That's not it. That's not what Jesus came to do. All right, mourners, that's the poor in spirit. Mourners, so, this is so sad. We all know mourners. It's a present participle, meaning when you see this person, when you talk to this person, when you hang around the person, they're complainers. They're victims. Someone has taken something from them. They have lost something. They have done something, and they can't forgive it, and they can't even forgive themselves. It defines them. Again, no judgment from me. 
they can't forgive. I did my doctoral thesis on forgiveness. I will tell you, their brain cannot forgive. They're mourners. They're mourning ones. Jesus is not condemning. He's just recognizing he sees them. They're mourners. Then meek. The words praus in the Greek, very interesting. Praus and tokoi, the two uh, poor in spirit, and praus, meek. In the Hebrew, it's the same word, anawim. Prowse sort of adds another element to it, makes it even stronger. They are in a dark hole, isolated, lonely, and all they've got is a shovel. They can't get out. They're stuck. These are the stuck ones. They can't beat what's defeating them without help. Jesus looked at that hillside and said, these are the people who are going to make up my kingdom. And the kingdom is about to crash into them for the first time in their lives. I'll sum it all up describing the poor in spirit. I think that's the word that's overarching. They're the poor in spirit. No one's there for them. No one has their back. No one is envious of them. They weren't religiously righteous. They weren't pure Some of them had been divorced, no doubt. Some of them had been raped, no doubt. Some of them had been abused. They're all there. They didn't come because they wanted to get circumcised. They came because this miraculous healer maybe could relieve their pain a little bit. Jesus was just kind of a walking Advil. Just so I can make it through another day. That was these people. Another commentator put it this way. I love this. They were the host of the miserable, the guilt-burdened, the lonely, the incurably ill, the careworn. Listen to this. I love this. The people who are hag-ridden by anxiety. Oh, you feel it. I'm feeling it more and more here today in in our country, in our world. Hag-ridden. They gaze at Jesus with inscrutable eyes that can be fathomed only by the Savior himself. I picture vacated eyes, you know, like you see in zombie movies, these vacated eyes, but also furrowed brows because they're not going to trust him. They're not going to take him seriously. They're going to be watching out for some kind of gimmick. Inscrutable eyes that only Jesus can detect. Here's the quote again. In some mysterious way, Jesus attracts the miserable. Welcome to Bergen Park Church. (laughs) He draws sinners and sufferers from their hiding places. Brilliant. Like a magnet. I can tell that resonates. Me too. No judgment. And listen, Jesus does something so shocking, so unexpected, so wonderful, so extreme. He moves towards them. Nobody else has. Everybody else is pulling away. He looks towards them. Everyone else is looking away. He speaks to them, rolls up his sleeves, touches them, hugs them, uh, smiles at them. I see Jesus throughout the Sermon on the Mount. There's a couple of places in the Sermon on the Mount I'm convinced he's laughing. 
I'm telling you, I think I can prove it. He's laughing at a joke he just said. And you know who gets it? Not the Pharisees. They weren't very funny anyway. But the people on the hillside who also weren't very funny. I think they're getting the joke. (sighs) He's doing something that no one has done in their lives, maybe forever, certainly for a long time. He, God, is honoring them. And they get it. Have you lacked honor? Have you not experienced that recently? It changes things when we feel it. A, a secular child psychologist famous, famously said this quote, every child, and by the way, not just child, adult, me, every person needs at least one adult who is irrationally crazy about him or her. That makes sense. Parents of teens, there it is, there's your secret. Your teen needs one other person, maybe you, that's great. If it's you, that's great, who's irrationally crazy. On that hillside, they found somebody. God. My hope is in this hillside today, we get it. We know it, but getting it is different than knowing. Sometimes we've stopped hearing the music, haven't we, Christians? And the rescue has to be more than talk. I'll tell you something else about the poor in spirit. They're not going to trust you if it's just yak, 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 yak. They're walking away. If it's too good to believe, they're not going to believe it. They won't. They've been hurt too many times. They've been betrayed too many times. I can hear them saying, what did that guy just call me? Blessed? Really? He doesn't know me. Is he going to pass the plate next? I bet he is. He doesn't know what's been done to me or what I've had to go through. Ethel, let's get out of here. I guess Ethel's not really a Jewish name, but you know what I mean. They need more than just words. This is not a Ted's talk. So on that hillside, even though Matthew doesn't mention it, he portrays it. Remember the exaggeration? When Jesus spoke, something happened. A miracle happened. Jesus I want you to imagine, uh, to think about in Genesis 1, where the Holy Spirit's hovering over the chaos and void, and, and speaks, the word in the Hebrew is bara, and what happens is in all this chaos and void, this place where only death reigns, there's a structure put up, and in that structure, you can have life, you can have relationship, and plants, and animals, and people are in this place that can actually grow and thrive. That's what Jesus did on that hillside. Is in the chaos and void of their lives, in the loneliness, isolation, the fear, anxiety, he created a place where love could happen, where they could feel loved. How do you describe a color to a blind person? How do you describe honor to a poor in spirit? Jesus made it happen. Here's a great quote from theologian John Barclay. Whereas good gifts are and still are normally thought to be distributed best to fitting or worthy recipients, the Christ gift, that's what was handed out on that hillside, the Christ gift, the ultimate gift of God to the world is given without regard to worth. Into the absence of worth, 
an unconditioned, incongruous gift that did not match the worth of the recipients, but created it. They felt worth on that hillside. That's the miracle. That's what happens when the kingdom of God bumps up against people who are wondering if I have worth. Do I have purpose? Do I have somebody who's got my back? He's not just doing a TED's talk. And he calls them blessed. He calls them fortunate. My translation is enviable. Enviable. Those people would never have been called enviable by anybody. Jesus looks at this bucket of deplorables, to use a quote, and says, you're, you're enviable. Why? One reason. One reason. I want this image to be in your head. Because they are right in front of him. There's an Old Testament idiom called Lipne Elohim. Lipne Elohim or Lipne Yahweh. It means before the face of God. Technically, literally, it's in front of the nose of God. So you're right there. You're in his grill by faith. And what do you do? You see his eyes. And you see if he's angry, you see if he's happy, you see if he loves you, if he's honoring you, you can see it in his eyes. That was the dream of every Jew. It's all through the Old Testament, this phrase, Lipne Yahweh, Lipne Elohim. And the dream of a Jew would have been to see God's smiling face. So let me give you another image. I want you to imagine a mother looking at her infant like this, and you, you know moms, right? It's called attunement, but your eyes connect. And there is a connection, by the way. We now know in neuroscience there's mirroring going on. Dopamine, your, your brain is kicking up dopamine and oxytocin. You're feeling good, mom. And the baby is feeling good, and there's this connect. And the mom goes, goo, 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 goo. And the baby goes, goo, 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 goo. They're talking to each other. They're dancing. Attunement. That's this. Looking in the face of God and seeing that he adores you. Your hair, your eyes, your personality, your history, your fears, your sin even. And God's going, goo, goo, goo. Then you know somebody has your back. That's what happened on this hillside to the most least likely people. Lipne Elohim. Well, this crowd would never imagine that would be them, ever. Ever. They'd been told they weren't worthy. They wouldn't even be worthy of their families to be the first Jews and Greeks to be Lipne Elohim. It's crazy talk. That's what happened on the Sermon on the Mount. That's why it's such a great story, because it welcomes hurt people. Three things that Jesus offers them in the first three. I won't go into it, but I just want to shock you, get you to kind of stirred up and listening to all of this. He promises them the kingdom of heaven. Well, we saw pictures of that. Thank you, worship team. He promises them the kingdom of heaven. He promises them comfort from God. And he says, you get to inherit the land. 
let me ball all those up into one big ball and let me tell you what Jesus said to these people, these unlikely people, these unworthy people. He said, the promises that God gave Abraham are now yours. That's what he said. The promises that God gave David are yours. What? The promise that God gave Israel are yours. Shocked? What about their sin? Wait a second, how could God do that for sinners? Have you read about Abraham? He pimped his wife twice. Have you read about David? Have you read about Israel? God gathers sinners. Welcome to Bergen Park Church again. That's why churches are so messy, amen? Not me, but you. (laughs) My problem's denial. That's all I got. That's what God, Jesus, gave these. Do you see the model? This is the kingdom, Jesus is saying, that I'm offering to you and to beyond. I'm offering it to everybody, not just Jews in Jerusalem. I'm offering it here on this international highway in Capernaum. I'm giving them the kingdom. Did it work? Did it work? Matthew, yes. Chapter 8, verse 1. He said, and don't miss this. I guess if you read Greek, you wouldn't miss this. So let me help you. He says, after he, he, you know, he stood up, walked down the hillside, large crowds, the same words, the same large crowds that came up. Matthew is exaggerating. Don't get me wrong. Large crowds followed Jesus. Greek, akolutheo. Don't worry about that, but you can wow people at parties. Akolutheo. Same word that's used when the disciples in chapter 4 were called by Jesus and they became disciples. They followed Jesus. Akolutheo. Matthew's teasing us, right? Great author. He's, he's teasing us that all of these people became disciples of Jesus. Don't think salvation necessarily. Am I saying that they were all saved? I don't think that's the point of this story. The point of this story is these people who were, would have been individual and skeptical, beat up, self-concerned, something happened. And they followed Jesus. I can tell you why. Because he's the first one in their lives, perhaps, that honored them that treated them like a human being, that saw them, felt their pain, identified with them, didn't preach righteousness to them. He was righteousness for them. We've all felt that once, right? That honor from Jesus. Christians. By the way, if you're not a Christian here, I'm so glad you're here. And if you're feeling that honor, if you're feeling, you walked in here and that you were desperate and you're feeling something, this new kind of thing called honor, you're feeling, you're not even sure, but you think it is, don't fight it. Come talk to me. Come talk to Pastor Jason. Talk to one of the worship team. But if you're here and a Christian, oh my gosh, can we, can we be honest? It's been a while, maybe, since we felt that. If there's someone who has my back, I asked the worship team to put a, a video on. You probably saw the video. It's Gyra by Elevation Maverick City. Yeah? Anybody? Yeah. This is a Christian church, right? 
I just want to watch three minutes of it. Here's what here's the story is about is Abraham in Genesis 22. God tells him to sacrifice Isaac. And he, he's about to go through with it with a knife, right? There's, there's a picture of it. I don't know who was there to take the picture, but that's what it looked like. <laughs> and then at the, at the moment, angel stops him and he looks over and there's a ram in the thicket, right? And Abraham says, the Lord provides. The Lord is the provider. Jehovah Jireh or Yahweh Yira, really in the Hebrew, provider. But what the, the writer of this song did, brilliant. There's moments in songwriting that I just go, yes. Doesn't translate the word provider. He or she says enough. That God is enough. For you, no matter what you've been through, he is enough. No matter what you're going through, he's enough for you. I want you to listen to this song. A couple of phrases before we get it. Not yet. Wait, wait. Check this out. This is so great. I wish I had written this. I'm jealous. It doesn't take a trophy to make you proud. I've never been more loved than I am right now. Go ahead and play that. That I am right now Wasn't holding you up So there's nothing I can do To let you down It doesn't take a trophy To make you cry I'll never be more loved Than I am right now
On that hillside, those people who only knew not enoughness felt enough. God made it happen. It was a miracle. You've experienced that if you're a Christian. On your hillside, wherever that was, you're on another hillside this morning. In my theology of worship, probably here, I'm, I'm just the pregame show for communion. Communion, you're at another hillside. You're invited by faith through the Holy Spirit in your inner being to come up the hillside to Jesus and look into his eyes, Lipne Elohim, by faith, a miracle, so that you leave here today feeling a little more enough. You, no matter whether you felt that much lately or ever, you can feel it now here. Just want to repeat that kind of quote from Barclay. I think it's great. The Christ gift, which you're invited to experience again, Christian, the ultimate gift of God to the world, to you, is given without regard to your worth. You haven't been a great Christian this week? Welcome. In the absence of your worth, it's an unconditioned and congruous gift that doesn't match the worth of the recipients, yours, Matter of fact, it creates worth. I need that. I imagine you do too. God, make us feel. Spirit, ah, it's been a while. It sounds good, but I'm skeptical. Maybe I've been hurt. Maybe I feel betrayed. Maybe I'm blaming you, God. Maybe I'm blaming church. No judgment. God, make us feel honored. All because of Jesus. Amen.